Lesson four is called Becoming Like Jesus. And I want to remind you of the last three weeks. Some of you were not here for that. But in session one, we talked about having a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And I, I went through the gospel, but I started the gospel in Genesis and we went all the way to the book of Romans and that the gospel introduces us into a relationship with our heavenly father. We were created for relationship with God. We walked away in sin and through Christ, we can come back into that relationship. And so if we're going to follow Jesus, it's gotta be grounded and founded in a personal, real and meaningful relationship with the Lord. So we talked about that in session one. And in session two, we talked about how following Jesus means that we've got to understand the call of discipleship. And that is the invitation that Jesus gave. And there were places in the gospels where Jesus wanted us to calculate the cost. And we've noted how some people, when they start to follow Jesus, they're not as serious or sincere. And it is the reason why they stop following him at some point in their life, because life happens, things go on in our life, but we have to know that he is worthy of our life. And so, so no matter what comes, whether we get what we asked for or we get what we prayed for or our life turns out the way we wanted it to, our life is not just that we have Jesus in our life, it's that Jesus, or have him in our life, it's that Jesus is our actual life. And so we talked about the call of discipleship is to follow him wholeheartedly. And in session three, we talked about responding to Jesus. And I gave you the three biblical responses that the Bible shows us if we're really gonna follow Jesus. And that was faith, repentance, and water baptism. And certainly there are more than that, but these are very, very clear from the Bible. And now I wanna go over more than just the plan of salvation, which we noted, and how that introduces us into a relationship that we need, and we talked about the, the invitation of discipleship, but I think there's another important lesson to grasp when we consider what it means to follow Jesus. And I believe that that is us understanding what God's goal is in our following his son Christ. We need to know what God is doing. I mean, we talked a little bit about what we need to do, but now I wanna talk to you about what God is doing. As you and I stay faithful to following him, the best that we know how, God is up to something and the Bible is quite clear about that. But don't you wanna know what that is so that you can partner with God's goal for your life? Not just our agenda or what we think or what we want, but Lord, what are you doing? And I'm willing to bet that everybody in this room who is a Christian has experienced what I'm about to explain. And, and that is this, when you come to Christ, like I did when I was 19 years old, and you give your life to him, all of a sudden what rushes in is new life. I mean, it's like everything is new. You feel like the sky is blue and the grass is green and the birds sing on point. You, you feel like everything is new. For most of us, there's a sense of newness, like life rushes in and you're experiencing God. And, and it's like you just, your sin was obliterated and your shame is gone and your guilt is, is, is just not there. And, and for six months, you're feeling all right. For six months, you're feeling pretty saved, sanctified, delivered. You're feeling really Christian. And, and you probably, like me, have a lot of judgments for everybody else that calls themselves Christian. Am I talking to somebody? You probably wish everybody else was as Christian as you, you know, and it's just one of those things. I mean, you're not very judgmental. You guys look nudgmental. You know, you're just trying to help some people in your life. But it just seems like all of a sudden, 
that six months later, you realize that you're not as saved as you thought you were. You've got some jealousy in your life. You've got some pride. You've got some anger. You've got some lust. You've got some selfishness. And now you thought God had dealt with all that. And by his grace, by the way, he did. Jesus did deal with all that. But now there's what we call in theological terms, there's sanctification that you and I have to walk through. And what is that all about? Well, I'll tell you what that's about. That's about you and I becoming like Jesus. We start by believing in him, trusting in him for salvation. But now he's not just the payment for my sins. He's the pattern for my life. And what I see in him is what the father wants to do in me. And this requires daily surrender. This requires real repentance. This requires us to look into the mirror and realize that we constantly need a heart change. And by God's grace, he continues to do that work inside of us. We don't have to get saved again, but we do become holy as we walk with the Holy Spirit. And so we're thankful that we understand God's goal and God's purpose, which is to make us like Jesus. And when we know that's what God is doing, we can properly align our lives for what he is doing in us and through us. And I wanna share with you tonight three things that I think will help us to do that, to align ourselves with what God is doing in our life. And the first is this, we must know the person of Jesus. We must know. And I'm going I'm to talk about know, show, and grow. Because I want to help you. Everybody say know, show, and grow. You, you like that, don't you? Those, that took me a long time. That, that, just smile. Amen. We must know the person of Jesus. And when I say this, I'm not, I'm not reiterating what we've already gone over. I'm not just saying that we need to have a relationship with Jesus but what I'm really saying is we've got to learn about who he is. We've got to study him. And that, that's what discipleship is. When we become a disciple, it means that we're a disciplined and devoted follower of Jesus Christ, of his words and of his ways. We've got to become a student. I mean, in today's culture, it seems like there are a lot of people that, that follow popular icons. I mean, they know everything, whether it's sports or people that are in pop culture. It's like we know all of the stats. We know all of the things that people are up to. And social media is just like the devil that helps us to be far too involved in people's lives that we do not know to the point where people will protect them. Have you ever seen that happen? I mean, it's just like they could do no wrong, even if they're like in prison for something terrible that they did. You're like, oh, they would never do that. I'm like, they're in prison. Convicted. They did a lot wrong. You know, it's like, oh, they would never do that. I listen to their music all the time. I'm like, you don't even know them. You know how like when a sports team will lose, it's like, oh, we lost. I'm like, you're not on the team. You act like you're on the team. It's amazing how we feel like we know so much about sports teams and pop icons and all that. We don't know any of these people, but you know what, who we should know? We should know Jesus Christ. If we're followers of Christ, we need to know Jesus. And so we want to study him. And I want to share with you, look what Jesus told his disciples when he sent them out. He said, I want you to make disciples. And he was saying that to people who were his disciples. I want you to reproduce. Look at this, Matthew 28 and verse 18. He said, and Jesus came up and spoke to them. And this is what Jesus says. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father 
and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Now look at this. And teach them to observe. Some translations say obey. Teach them to, to obey all that I commanded you. And I am with you until the end of the age. Now, when Jesus said, I am with you until the end of the age, he was not just giving a theological framework. He was not saying, I will never leave you or forsake you. He did say that at another time. What he was saying was, I'm giving you a mission to make disciples of all nations and to teach people everything that I taught you. And I want you to know I'm with you as you do that. This is what he was talking about. In other words, I'm gonna give you an impossible task for you to do by yourself, but I'm gonna give you the power to do it. The Holy Spirit will be with you. He's saying, I'm with you. Well, how's he gonna be with them? Through the Holy Spirit. But look what he says. I want you to teach people everything. You know why I think sometimes we get into trouble? It's not what we don't teach people, or it's not that we teach people bad stuff. It's that we don't teach people all the stuff. And when you withhold some of the teaching of Jesus Christ from people, I mean, if you don't teach them some of the things he taught, like love your enemies and pray for those who despitefully use you, at some point, we're gonna have a bit of a hangup. This is why Jesus said, don't teach people some of it, teach people all of it. I want people to be like all that I am, not just some of it. I mean, there are some parts that we really like about Jesus. Would you agree with that? I love the forgiveness and the mercy and all that. But then when he's like, I want you to pick up your cross and follow me. I mean, that's an easy one to skip over, supposedly. But Jesus is talking about, I want you to put to death the flesh. I mean, Jesus teaches some stuff that'll make your, your hair curl. I mean, if you got hair, you know. And so he tells them in this commission, I want you to pass on everything that I taught you. I want you to share my heart and my nature and my ways. You were with me for three years. You are the perfect group of people to pass on everything. And I want you to give people everything. I mean, this is what he charged them with. And I, and I want you to know that, that this is what he has for us as well. Jesus wants us to be like him. And in order to do that, we've got to reproduce his life. We've got to live like Christ in our own life. We've got to study him to know this is what Jesus would do. I mean, we have the bracelets. I haven't seen one forever, but what would Jesus, what would Jesus do bracelets? You know, we, we, should do, we should bring that back. We should, I mean, some of you should bring that back. It would help you. You just, every time you feel like you're not doing something, Jesus, would you just snap it like a rubber band? You'd probably be a little bit, Better, but I'm, I'm not telling on you. I'm just saying it might be helpful for you because what we see in Jesus is what the Father wants to do in us. Now, I want to read something that I think will be helpful because if we think about what Christ is like, we have to read the Sermon on the Mount. And I, I just want to read to you what Jesus taught his disciples in the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, verse 1 in Matthew 5. It says, Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and he sat down. And his disciples came to him and began to teach them. And he said, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you. This is the part that drops off the Sermon of the Mount. <laughs> Blessed are you when people insult you, 
persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad. He didn't say take up arms and be angry. He didn't say protect yourself. He said rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You know what they did to the prophets? They killed them. And you know what the prophets didn't do? They didn't take up arms. They continued to preach righteousness. And that's why Jesus said, rejoice and be glad because you're doing something right for heaven's sake. And when we read this, we can see that this is the way of Christ. Jesus wasn't just telling them what to do. He was showing them who he was. This is what I'm like. Look, the way of Jesus is humble. The way of Jesus is loving. The way of Jesus is forgiving. The way of Jesus is merciful, pure and righteous, generous, truthful and honest, dependent on the Father. If you didn't know, I just summarized Matthew 5 through 7 right there. The whole Sermon on the Mount is a revelation of Jesus. And he wants people to know him, to be like him. Well, you, in order to be like him, you have to know him. And that's the whole point. So the first thing that we want to know is to know the person of Jesus. The second part of this, if we're going to grow in his likeness, we, we, we need to know what that looks like. So we must grow into the likeness of Jesus. As we begin to define who Jesus is and what he's like, we recognize this is what God has for us. I want you to get this into your mind. Jesus was not just the payment for your sins. He's your pattern, the pattern for your life. Now, when Bridget and I were raising our kids and they were small, they're not small anymore. We don't have any small kids. We've got big kids and bigger kids. That's all we got now. But anyways, when we were raising our kids, I can remember during Christmas time, one of the things that you do, and I don't know why we do it, but we do it, is we buy these large presents for our children, you know, and, I, and if you're a young parent and you have kids and, and you want to still do this stuff, please, I'm not trying to spoil this for you. I'm just telling you the truth. Amen. But we would buy like, you know, I remember we bought our daughter a dollhouse. She wanted this dollhouse and it was I mean, this is like the Taj Mahal of dollhouses. This thing, I'm not exaggerating. This thing was, remember this? This thing was like this tall and it took up a large amount of space. And, uh, and I just remember like trying to put some of that thing together, you know, because that's what you do, right? You get like a bicycle, you get like a dollhouse. And then the night before Christmas, that's when you bring everything downstairs in pieces and you're like, I'm gonna put this thing together and it's just gonna be the most amazing thing. When they come down the stairs, they're gonna float down and they're gonna see this incredible present that we saved up for and, and they're gonna love us forever and never do a bad deed again in their life. That's what I thought and I was wrong. But they, so you, we, Bridget and I, we would share the responsibility of putting these toys together back in the day where now we just give gift cards out. We just, <laughs> we just get up. I get up late too. I'm like, they'll do downstairs or whatever. I'm, I'm just getting up when I'm getting up. I don't care. <laughs> you know, that's just what it is. We're winking at empty nesting at some point down the road and we're, we just don't care anymore. Here's a hundred dollars. We don't care. Just whatever. You're going to do whatever you want anyways. Merry Christmas. Did you read your Bible? No, that's, that's where I'm living. But anyhow, I wish I was not telling you the truth. But I, anyhow, I remember putting this one dollhouse together and it came with some instructions, but I'm not always interested. 
And so, you know, the dollhouse, I mean, at some point, it, it looked more like a doghouse than a dollhouse, you know? I mean, you just sort of realize that you're, you're not quite putting the thing together right. And, and it, I, never really, I never really enjoyed all the time, like the whole some assembly required. You ever look on the box and it says some assembly required? It should say like, warning, <laughs> hours of your life wasted to all of you parents. You will never get these hours back. Just pray it's worth it. I, anyhow, that's not encouraging, but I would tell you the same is true. This, this idea, some assembly required. I want to tell you something about your life. When you come to Christ, you, you, don't, you don't just show up and all of a sudden you say yes to Jesus and everything that you are is everything he wants you to be. I want to tell you, you come and some assembly is required. And aren't you thankful that you got the instruction manual to help you grow and become assembled the way that God wants you to be? I want to tell you, this is what you and I need to understand as we continue to walk with God. And the Bible gives us a picture of what it is that we're supposed to look like and act like and be like, which is why we have to know the Bible for ourselves. We cannot outsource our spirituality to a pastor or a man or a woman of God. We've got to study this book ourselves to know Jesus for ourselves. And it's so vital and important that if we're going to become like Christ and grow into his likeness, we've got to know personally with conviction what that looks like. And so if you get nothing else out of what I'm saying tonight, walk away tonight with a conviction, a burning desire to know the word of God for yourself so that you would walk in the truth of Jesus and what that looks like. You have to have a personal conviction and we can't walk away from that personal conviction. I would tell you we're living in a time of biblical illiteracy. We're living in a time where people don't know the Bible, don't read the Bible, don't study the Bible, and yet still debate the Bible. And it cannot be true for your life. And so I would tell you what the Bible says about our life from the beginning in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26. God said, let us make man in our own image according to our likeness. I mean, right from the beginning, God says, this is what I want to do for human beings. I want to make them in my image. I want to make them in my likeness. And I wish I had a mirror to show you what sin did. But we are made in the image of God. But if you took that mirror and just smashed it, that's now what sin has done in our life. The image of God is still a reflection of our life. There are things that you can see in each person that reflect who God is and what he's, he made us in his image. But because of sin, it's been smashed and it's fragmented. It's deformed us, but Jesus has come to reform and restore us. And this is what he's doing. And that's why verses like Romans 8 and 28 matter so much. When we come to Christ, look what Paul said. And he's talking to people that are going through all kinds of trials and temptations and difficulties. And he said this, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good. Now stop right there. We know that God causes all things to work together for good does not mean that God caused all things to happen. That's not what it's saying. If you want to know the root cause of why it is that we suffer and we struggle and we go through all the pain, it is because in our disobedience, we sinned and walked away from God. And that is exactly what God told Adam and Eve not to do. And it is what they did. And so now that we're restored in Christ, he's the one that comes to restore us in our mess. Sin is our mess. 
and we are experiencing the effects of sin from one another and our past and our parents and their parents and other people we don't know, sin affects everybody. But Jesus stepped into our world to restore us back to a world that he is remaking and renewing. And he says in the midst of that, that we know God causes all things, both bad and good, to work together for good for those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. Say his purpose. Now listen, for those whom he foreknew, he knew beforehand they would come into Christ. He also predestined to what? Become conformed to the image of his son. Now this goes right back to Genesis 1.26. This is the plan of God. What is God's plan for my life? It's to make you into the image of Jesus Christ. And there is no higher goal than this. I mean, there is nothing that we should want more than to be like the one we're following. Because whenever we hit that goal, like I wanna be a pastor, I wanna be a worship leader, I wanna be a business leader, I wanna be a, a father, I wanna be a mother, I wanna be a husband, I wanna be a wife. Whenever you hit that, then what? No, friend, I wanna be a Christ-like husband. I wanna be a Christ-like father. I wanna be a Christ-like pastor. See, you'll never hit that, you understand? Because you're always growing into that. And it's very vital that we capture this vision that God has for us, not just something that we want. We have these agendas. I wanna be this thing and I wanna do that thing. There is a higher calling for us and that is to be Christ-like no matter what we do in the world that we live in. And so Paul says this, that we know God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And then he tells us his purpose, to be conformed in the image of his son. This word purpose is the Greek word prothesis, and it literally means the objective, the goal, and the aim. This word is borrowed from the world of philosophy. Philosophers in his time would talk a lot. They would debate in the, in the public square, and they would have these discussions to see who could wax more eloquent and that's what people were hungry for. And Paul is speaking specifically that God has a purpose. God has an aim. God has a goal. This is God's thesis for your life. That's what the word prothesis, it's where that word thesis comes from. Now, when I wrote my first book, it was 65,000 words. Everybody say, ouch. You didn't feel like I did. 65,000 words. It was painful. It was months, years perhaps of, of banging my head on the wall and writing this out. But I want to tell you, when I wrote my first book, I had a thesis in the midst of all 65,000 words. My thesis was that you can know God personally and you can hear his voice specifically. If you read my first book, that is all that I'm trying to convey to you. And there are 65,000 words trying to convey one point, And that is God speaks to you. Do you want to hear him? You see, this is what it's all about. God has a purpose for our life, all of life. That's why he says all things work together for good. All of life God will use to facilitate this one goal that he has, that you and I would be a reflection of his son. This is what he wants to do. When the father sees the son on the earth, it brings pleasure to his heart. Whenever we hear the father, God the father speak in the New Testament, do you remember what he says? He says, this is my son, my beloved son. In him, I am well pleased. And I believe every time the father sees Christ coming through us, he is well pleased. 
And thus we have the pleasure of God all over our life whenever Christ comes through us. Whenever, whenever Jesus flows through our life, the Father is well pleased. Christ in us, the hope of glory. You ever heard this before? It's powerful. This is what God is after in all of our lives. And it makes sense then pain has purpose to it. Difficulty all of a sudden has purpose to it. What we're navigating through, what the times are like, all of a sudden it has purpose. I'm not just trying to get through, I'm trying to grow through. You understand everything now facilitates what God is up to in my life. And so if you have pain right now, if you have an ache in your heart, if you're suffering, if you're struggling, if you're sick, no matter what that is, it doesn't mean God did it to you, but it does mean that God will use it to grow you up. Isn't that amazing? I mean, this is what the saints of old really believed. Sometimes theology today, listen, it's all about us having the best life. It's all about us being the center of our life. It's all about us having everything we ever wanted. Like God's a genie in a bottle. And if you just talk to him the right way, you're going to get whatever you want. That's the theology of today. But the theology of yesterday, the saints of old who gave their lives for the sake of the gospel, I mean, they literally died. They died for their faith. They believed these passages in their suffering and in their difficulty. They were like, God works all things together for good. And they weren't talking about like some little thing that maybe they weren't talking about getting a hangnail, you know? Oh man, can't go to church now, you know, got a hangnail. No, I'm just messing with you. But they weren't, they weren't talking about small stuff. They were talking about big things, you know? And maybe we're gonna go through the, those things ourselves. Maybe you are going through something like that yourself. But the scripture says, God causes all things to work together for good. And that's the promise of the Lord on your life and on my life. What is God doing? He's growing us up into the image of Jesus Christ. And I love this and, and it helps me in, in, to know that as I move forward in the Lord, he's got something bigger and something greater that he's about. And he just wants me to partner with him. He doesn't want me to avoid the pain. He doesn't want me to look away from the difficult stuff. He wants me to enter right into it. He doesn't want me to pray, get me out of this. Don't let me go through this. No, he wants me to pray, help me to grow in the midst of this. That's what he wants me to pray. He wants me to pray weighty prayers, things that really matter, that mean something. And this is what we know it means to follow Jesus, is to grow and become like him. How many of you know Jesus didn't have it easy on the earth? I mean, if you just stop and think about that for a second, I had somebody tell me one time, they said, listen, all you got to do is love people. And if you love people, you're going to win them over. That's all you got to do is just love people. And I thought about that for a moment because that sounded right for a second, just for like one second though. Like if you just love people, all you got to do is love people, be kind. Cause that's like our highest value in our culture is just be kind. Like not be truthful, just be kind, right? And so sometimes the truth gets sacrificed on the altar of kindness, but that's a different message. But that's like the highest value, right? Just be nice, just be nice. And that's Christian, just be nice. No, be truthful too. I mean, like don't sacrifice truth on the altar of kindness, but, but, I, but I think sometimes we, we, we don't think this through. And I, I think it happens to all of us because we're living in, in, in this culture where it's almost like it's all about being nice and it's all about being kind. Now, I want you to be nice, I want to encourage you in your niceness, okay? I want to encourage you in your kindness. I'm not saying that that doesn't matter. But I, I want to tell you also that truth actually matters. You know, this is something that God is doing is, is growing us up into his likeness. Look what Paul said here in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 7. 
This is what Paul said, and I think it is vital for us. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Christ. We have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. And then he goes into like, you know, the Hallmark card version. Just joking. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. Now listen, he, he concludes, so death works in us, but life in you. Paul makes sense of pain right here. And this is what he's saying. He's like, when I'm out there preaching the gospel as an apostle, not everybody likes me. Jesus was love in a body and we killed him. You can be the most loving person on the planet and be crucified. You can be the most loving person on the planet and be put to death. But listen, when he speaks, when Paul speaks of this, he speaks of it as a privilege. Now I'm not telling you to become a martyr, but what I'm saying is that even if that happens, the Bible teaches us that people who give their lives even to the point of physically, that God will bring life out of death. I mean, this is the promise of God to every missionary all over the planet right now. Don't you know they've got to believe something more than the American gospel? They've got to believe more than the happy, clappy, healthy, wealthy version. They've got to believe that if even if I die, God will take my death, plant it into the ground, and life will come to the people that he's called me to reach in this region. And I love that about the Lord, that even in death, God can bring forth life. And that's what Paul knew. And he wants us to know on whatever level that we're called to experience this on, because what? We know that all things work together for good for those that are called by God, according to God. And his purpose is very, very clear in our life. His prothesis is to be conformed to the image of his son. There is no greater goal. And tonight I want you to leave thinking that, knowing that there is no greater goal in my life than to become like Jesus Christ. That is what God is doing in me. It's what he created me for. It's what Jesus restored me back to. And it is how he is fashioning and shaping me. Now we move from what he's doing inside of us to what he wants to do through us. And the last part I wanna share with you tonight is we must show the works of Jesus. And I believe this is a, a privilege that God gives to us as we are filled with the Holy Spirit, which we're gonna talk about in a few weeks. But our relationship with him and our following of him prepares us to demonstrate the life that he lived, the power that he lived in. Now, I, I know this isn't necessarily always something that is talked about, but we are pressing into this here at the church and we believe that God wants to minister in power through our lives. Doesn't matter who you are. If you know Jesus, you're filled with the Holy Spirit, he wants to send us out in power. And Jesus did that to his disciples in Luke 9 and chapter 9 and verse 1. And this is what it says. That he called the 12 together and he gave them power and authority over all demons and to heal diseases 
And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to perform healing. And he said to them, take nothing for your journey, neither staff nor bag nor bread nor money. Do not even have two tunics apiece. Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that city. And as for those who do not receive you, as you go out from that city, shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. Departing, they began going throughout all the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. This was a part of the disciples' training. Part of their training was to receive power and authority and to be sent out in the name of Jesus, to be his delegates, to be his apostles, to be his witnesses. And this is also a part of not only the training that they got, but the training they would give. You remember in Matthew 28, we already read it. Jesus said, teach people everything I commanded you. Don't you believe that included this? Don't you believe that it included the power of God? And sometimes people ask me, well, why don't we see more of the power of God? Friends, we've got to tell everyone that by the spirit of the living God, we too can heal the sick and we can cast demons out of people and we can do the works of Jesus. And sometimes that is just not what's talked about. When Jesus looked his disciples in the face and he knew he was going to the cross and he knew it was going to be over for his earthly ministry, he said to them in John 14, 12, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do because I go to the Father. Now, some people debate, does that mean greater works in magnitude or greater works in multitude? Doesn't matter. It just says greater works. So probably it means that more people will do more of the works of Jesus. Because if all of us in this room begin to manifest what Christ has given to us through the Holy Spirit, federal way gets rocked upside down. This is what I know. When you start healing the sick and casting out demons, stuff gets stirred up and things begin to happen. Oh man, I want to talk about this, but my time is running short. And we will talk about this in the days ahead because we, we must. Now listen, when I got saved... It was radical. I came to Christ when I was 19. I was drug addicted, sexually immoral. All of that was true of my life. I don't want to go into that, but that's where I was. I was in a terrible place and I did not believe in God, but I'm so thankful that he showed up in my life in power in my bedroom, not in a church. I was sitting on the floor at two o'clock in the morning and God showed up in my life powerfully and saved me and delivered me from those things that were plaguing my life. And I woke up the next day and I literally never went back to drugs and alcohol and the sexual sin, all of it. I never went back to any of it. You know, that was like 23 years ago. And I had people tell me, you know, you're gonna, it, hey, it's gonna get harder for you. And you, you know, right now you're really excited. I mean, I've gotten worse, you know, in a good way. I never went back to that stuff. I had a mass deliverance. And, and from that day forward, God began to open my eyes. And I told people, I'm not a Pentecostal Christian because I wear it as a badge of honor. And, and uh, I, I want to tell other types of churches that we're better than you are. I, I don't care about any of that. I'm just telling you, I got like zapped in the Holy Spirit. I mean, literally, I, didn't, I hadn't been to church for years. And when I was sitting on my floor and God spoke to me and I didn't know God was a speaking God. I didn't even know there was a God. I didn't believe in God. And I'm sitting there and all of a sudden I went from not believing in God to believing in a God. And the next day I woke up and I was never the same. I don't even know if I asked for all that. I just told God, if you're real and you show up in my life, I will give you my life. And he said to me, I'm real and I'm showing up in your life. 
and I'm demanding your life. And from that day forward, God began to open up my eyes. Now, I haven't every day of my life had miracles flying out of my life, but I begin to see the power of the Holy Spirit. And I went from church to church, you know, I went from place to place and I found out that there are a lot of churches that don't believe in the power of God flowing through the believer's life. I know that. I've been to a lot of churches like that. We know they just, they just preach the book and they close the book and they tell everybody to get saved every week and then we leave the building and let's just be honest, most people go and live like hell. And they hope that they're on their way to heaven. Forgiveness for when I sin and heaven when I die. And I wanna tell you there's more to life than that. Jesus has called us to live like him. Jesus has called us to read this book and think Jesus did it and I'm not him, but he called me to be like him with a bunch of people that are crazy enough to believe this book. And so when you read this book and you think, man, I can proclaim the gospel of the kingdom and I can heal the sick and I can cast out demons and I can teach with authority and I can even do the other things that he did like forgive people. Some folks are in bondage and they want, they're unwilling to forgive because it takes supernatural power to release that forgiveness. I can help people in need. And when God does it through us as the body of Christ, miracles can happen through the people of God. Now the news doesn't, they don't tell that story. Today the news will tell the story about the crazy Christians who did something ridiculous in the name of Jesus. That's what we see on the news today. Look at all these crazy Christians. If you look on social media, it's almost every single story about Christians, about churches, is the ridiculous stuff that none of us are really listening to. And we wouldn't even know about it unless it were on the news sources. But there are stories all over the world of what Jesus is doing through his people. He's still healing the sick. He's still raising people up. He's still seeing miracles happen, signs, wonders. People are coming to Christ all over the world because God gave them a vision and a dream. There are people all over the world that are encountering the living God in ways that you and I can't even imagine. But we're stuck in a world that wants to tell another narrative. Do you think there's an evil plot against the body of Christ? Do you think there's an evil plot, a sinister ploy to defame the person of Christ? to de-supernaturalize the people of God, to make us simply religious and not believe that God wants to do stuff from us, through us, because I'll tell you, you and I can't do miracles. You and I can't heal the sick. You and I can't, but through the power of the spirit, we can do what Jesus says. It's not us healing anybody, but I'll tell you, it starts by what you believe. And that's the kind of, I mean, if you didn't know what kind of church you walked into tonight, you're gonna leave knowing. Because even if I don't see everything happen that I pray for, I'm going to die in faith that way. That's what I choose. What's the alternative, friends? What's the alternative? We get to show the works of Jesus. So absolutely, we want to know the person of Jesus. We want to grow into the likeness of Jesus. And we want to show the works of Christ. But I'll tell you, as we grow in him, there becomes this hunger for us to pray for the sick, for us to see the things that Jesus did be done in our day. Aren't you hungry for that? I'm hungry for that. I want to see him do what he's always done. I can't read books about revival anymore and just be satisfied with history. I want history to become reality. I'm just tired about people saying things about what used to happen. What about what's happening today? And you know how that's going to happen? That's going to happen because we are a praying people. I could go through the book of Acts with you, just, just summarize it by people 
had the release of the Holy Spirit and the people of God begin to pray. And as the people of God begin to pray, as awkward as that might feel when we get into a room together and we don't know who's gonna pray and who's gonna agree and who's gonna say amen and who's gonna be loud and, and is, do we pray all together at the same time? And it's super weird sometimes. But if we could pass through all that and just begin to cry out to God, I believe the Holy Spirit would be poured out in ways that we've only read about. And that's the way that we're moving in our church. That's where we're going in our church because we need to see the works of Jesus done in our day. And if you've ever shared the gospel of Jesus to anybody, you know you can't save someone. If you've ever talked about Jesus to someone, you know you can't convince someone. There's a story that the Bible tells about the person and the work of Christ that has a supernatural seed in it. And all he calls us to do is plant it. He calls us to share it. He calls us to pray it. He calls us to say it, to proclaim it. And when we do that, God shows up in ways that you and I simply can't. We do our part, God does his part. Show the works of Christ. And so I wanna close our time tonight by praying for the supernatural power of Christ. I mean, you and I, we have to wake up every day and endeavor to know the person of Jesus. You and I get to wake up every day and make a decision as to whether or not we're gonna grow into his likeness. Are we gonna surrender? Are we gonna give ourselves over to him? But together, one of the things that we wanna pray for and we wanna contend for is the power of God to show up. It was just the other day I was, uh, I was praying at the end of a service. And as I shared something, I just shared, hey, I, I had this picture of somebody in their, their knee, their leg, and I don't remember which side, right or left, I said specifically, and, uh, and I just shared it. I said, somebody's knee is being healed right now. I just said it just like that. And how arrogant does that sound? It sounds terrible, right? I mean, if you're wrong, you're like really wrong. You're like, there's no kind of wrong. Like you're either right or you're, or you're wrong. But as I said that, I didn't know that something happened to a woman in our church on the back row. And she met me outside and I had never met her before, but she said, when you said that, my knee popped. It just popped. This is exactly what she said to me. She might be in the room. If you're in the room, amen. Hope your knee didn't pop back. But anyhow, <laughs> but she said that her knee popped literally when I said it. And I was up here, I had my eyes closed. I wasn't looking at anybody, pointing anybody out. It just came out of my heart. I wasn't even thinking about it. I didn't write it down. But I just said what came to my heart because I was in a place of prayer. And I've learned that as we pray, as God reveals, he also heals. We've learned that. And so we believe by faith that the Lord will move. We don't guarantee God will do everything we say, but what we do is we just preach, we pray, we prophesy. And as I said that, she said, my knee popped and it got healed. And I've, it's all of a sudden, like, I don't have any pain anymore. And I was like, man, this is exactly what we're talking about tonight. And part of it is the people of God get stirred up to believe him again. You know, amen. We get to believe him again because at times we don't see something happen and it kind of deflates our faith. Well, if God is really who you say he is, then why didn't he do this? And why didn't he do that? And why didn't this person die? And I don't have an answer for that. I wish I did. I leave that to better theological minds, but I'll tell you what I do know is if we keep praying, God keeps moving. If we keep praying, we see the works of Jesus manifest. That's what I've seen throughout my life. That's what our family has seen. That's what my children have seen. Friends, how many of you have seen the works of Jesus in your life? Come on, raise your hand if it's true. Well, why don't you with that hand raised, why don't you stand up and keep raising your hand in prayer? Let's do that together. Thanks for listening today. 
Pastor Ben's mission is to equip the church to impact the world. If you want to get connected, check the show notes and visit bendixon.org. From there, you can learn about Pastor Ben's other podcasts, the books he has written, Ignite Global Ministries, and the online Immersion Discipleship School. Thank you.